Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have with us for the first time Joshua Tylen. He is a pastor in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, but also the executive director of Camp Silka, the camp in the central Illinois district of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. So welcome to the show, Joshua. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. It's it's good to have you. And uh, we're super excited and really pleased that we've got... Uh, uh, you out there at Camp Soka, you do such a great job, and uh, not only in you know involving all the campers, but also maintaining confessional identity, Lutheran identity. So, thanks for all you do. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad to do it. It's a it's a fun job and and a, a great place to be. So, what I asked you to come on to talk about today and is something you presented at the Central Illinois District Fall Pastors Conference on honor and shame culture. And I just, I found it a fascinating topic. And you noted in that presentation that so often today, it is just simply asserted that we don't live in an honor and shame culture. And uh, it sounds like that's what led you to really kind of dive into this topic. So what did you find when looking into these things? Do we live in an honor shame culture? Yeah, well, you're exactly right. That that phrase pops up all the time, and um, and it, what what I kind of found in in looking into this topic more because that that phrase kept kind of sticking in my craw a little bit, and uh, what I came up with was that honor and shame um, really are built in to uh, to the human. I don't know if it's a human psyche or human culture, uh, but I I think you know from from what I see, it's it's more by God's design than it is just by sort of human invention, um, and uh, and I think you see it across all cultures and all places. Uh, it it changes uh, based upon you know the culture or the timing, uh, the, the point in history that you're at. Uh, it can be uh, looked at differently or manipulated or talked about a little differently, but uh, but it's still there. Uh, sort of um, directing the human experience and, and really undergirding a lot of the um, the different things that we say and, and things that we do. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like built into the order of creation post-fall, at least shame. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So uh, what is, uh, why are people wanting to react against that? I mean, um, is it because of how we identify or define these things? Are we, we operating with false definitions? Or why is it that everyone continues to say, we don't live in this kind of culture? Are they just trying to sh- throw off the shackles of of God and his creation? Or is there something else at work? Yeah, well, part of it is there's, uh, we, I, we've been dealing with almost exclusively negative definition of shame, right? So if if somebody says they're ashamed of something today, uh, our culture thinks that's just about the worst thing in the world, right? Or, or to right. shame somebody 
uh, if you're a, a mom shamer or a, a body shamer or something like that, that's like, you know, you're, you're basically Hitler. Um, yeah. A shame so, shamer. So I think we have that. Right. Yeah. Now you're a shame shamer. That's right. Uh, and so we have this this totally negative definition of shame, which then colors uh, the way we think about these sorts of things. Um, I think we just sort of lost the idea um, because of our, we sort of perceive ourselves, at least in the United States, as a sort of egalitarian society that uh, it's completely by... Um, you know, by your work ethic and, and those sorts of things that you pull your bootstraps up or, mm. uh, you know, even more modern times, everybody's the same, right? And so we don't want any kind of class distinctions or uh, honorary distinctions uh, amongst amongst people. Uh, and so people push back against that quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I think if you if you dig into it and, and find out what honor and shame really is all about, uh, it really helps you understand the human condition. Uh, it helps to make sense of a lot of the the current cultural craziness that we're mm-hmm. in, uh, and then can help us as sort of a guide uh, going forward too. Mm-hmm. So, is there kind of like a classical definition of honor and shame versus a biblical, or does the classical definition kind of mirror the biblical? Or so, how does that work out? How should we define yeah. these things, or how have we defined these things? Yeah. So, uh, so honor and shame are are two sides of the same coin, uh, but they they have to do with a person's status. Uh, so, if you have honor, uh, that means you go up in status. Uh, if you have shame, that means you go down in status. Or if you are shamed, I should say, uh, you go down in status. Uh, and that's that's kind of a universal uh, across cultures that um, that if you have honor, you're you have glory or or status that that is achieved. Uh, if you are shamed, uh, you go down that that status ladder. Uh, the differences that come up are in uh, you know what defines honorable activity uh, in ancient cultures. And really, uh, in in Western culture, up until probably a hundred years ago, uh, honor was um, was something that uh, you, uh, people understood and 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 wanted, and shame was something they understood and didn't want, uh, and it was something that was uh, governed by the community, right? So mm-hmm. your uh, your family and your your peers and your uh, society around you, you know, the town you grew up in and, and those sorts of things that really governed uh, what was honorable and what was shameful activity. Uh, and those people then uh, that were around you would would kind of tell you uh, that, hey, yeah, you, you did something honorable, you did something great. Uh, they would tell you you did something shameful or you did something bad. Uh, and uh, and that w- you would try to adjust your behavior accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the there, there's a more modern definition of that where, um, you know, in, in our day, uh, it's not so much the community that decides what's honorable, it's the self, right? And so you, uh, instead of my, my peers telling me what is, is honorable behavior, I decide what's honorable, and then I expect my peers to agree with me or to sort of validate <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, right. You know, so if, uh, you know, if, if I want to be... Um, you know, a, uh, an alcoholic or something, right? I, I would, that's just who I am, right? And that's my, my identity. And, and who are you to tell me that this is, 
dishonorable conduct. Now we still mm-hmm. do that sort of contrary to reason. Uh, you know, we say everybody should be able to determine their own reality and, and that and honor and, and those sorts of things. But mm-hmm. uh, it, because this is baked in, as you said, to the order of creation, uh, we, we keep pushing back against that um, and, and running, running into all kinds of problems. But uh, so, so that's the ancient like- definition in the modern. And it seems like you've got the, the reason you need that external honoring of it, the, the the upholding, the applauding of it is because you recognize that even though maybe people aren't shaming you, 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 you have shame in some sense about it. You recognize that it's, this right. is not good or glorious. Do they make a distinction between uh, personally having shame and... And what it what it means to be shamed, and what it what does that mean? Yeah, so uh, so to have shame uh, is actually a good thing, right? So we we even have that phrase today. You know, people will say, "Have you no shame?" <laughs> uh, and and what they mean is, uh, don't you you know, don't you have a sense of right and wrong, right? So mm-hmm. um, so to have shame is is usually seen as a good thing, uh, even in our culture, but but certainly in antiquity and in the Bible, um, and uh, to be without shame mean you know, or to be shameless, right? That's a, a negative thing. Um, but to be shamed, right? That's when you go sort of down in that uh, that status. So, mm-hmm. um, so to have shame is similar to having honor, right? It means you have a sense of of right and wrong. You have a sense of of what is good conduct and immoral conduct. Uh, mm-hmm. And you'll act accordingly to sort of defend your reputation, uh, but uh, to have to be shamed means that the community is sort of coming together to tell you that you have not acted uh, in accordance with with what is honorable conduct. Mm-hmm. Do they talk at all about or discuss at all like being wrongfully shamed? Did you run across any of that uh, and and what that looks like? Not. Um, not necessarily in in antiquity. I mean, the uh, you know, I think the uh, best biblical example we have of that is um, is Mary and Joseph, right? Where right. Uh, Mary is uh, is the mother of our Lord and has not done anything dishonorable or shameful, uh, and yet her community would have seen uh, you know this uh, this unmarried pregnant woman as as shameful, uh, and. The, the difference is we tend to think of shame as something that um, is part of your your identity then, right? If, if somebody is shamed, then they have this burden that they bear and they bear it alone and everybody looks looks at them negatively. Uh, for, for Mary and Joseph, uh, the situation would have been a little different. Her family uh, would have borne the shame with her. Uh, and I, I think mm-hmm. that's because you know, in, in their culture, it was not a common thing for young women to go out with young men on dates and have a lot of alone time together, right? So if uh, if she winds up, uh, you know, pregnant with a child outside of wedlock, that's as much of a reflection on poor parenting as it is on, um, you know, on, on her conduct as, as a person. But, yeah. uh, but her whole family would have borne that shame. Uh, and then that shame could be uh, reconciled or, or redeemed, I suppose, uh, when she got married and her husband took on uh, the, the parenthood of, of that child, became the father for that child. And that's 
uh, is basically what you see uh, in the biblical narrative where Joseph mm -hmm. takes Mary as his wife and uh, sort of adopts Jesus as, as the guardian of our Lord. And, uh, and then um, things are, are sort of set right. Uh, so, so shame isn't something you just have to bear, you know, for the rest of your life. Uh, it can sort of move up and down, um, you know, based upon your, how you handle the, the, the shameful activity mm -hmm. that you, uh, that you engaged in. But, uh, but yeah, in terms of, uh, people being wrongfully shamed or, or something like that, there's not a lot of, uh, of writing about that, at least not in the reading that I did. Yeah. I remember you talking about how there's a difference in the way that men and women in particular look at honor and shame or, or, or how it's attained. Um, yeah. Talk, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So typically um, men are seen as the, uh, the ones who need to attain honor and women are seen as the guardians of shame. Uh, and that that shame in a positive sense. So mm -hmm. uh, that uh, so it's almost as if if you think about it this way, men start at the bottom of the ladder of of honor and shame, and women start at the top. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that's uh, you know that's reflective of uh, of our humanity, right? As as a man, you kind of need to go out there and prove yourself, and uh, you know you really you can't do anything that's all that amazing on your own just just sort of sitting around you have to to go out and sort of prove to the world that you can uh you can get a job and you can do good things and you can raise a family and all those sorts of things uh women just biologically uh can carry and sustain human life right and that in itself is an, an amazing thing and an honorable thing um and so they they start at the top of the ladder uh, and are are honored by the people around them and protected by the people around them, and then uh, they can of course lose that by acting shamefully or, or doing shameful things. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so men necessarily have to learn how to prove themselves honorably, and yeah. women are the the keepers or the guardians of shame in that they are trying to maintain the honor that has been granted to them. Is this yes. why, yeah. is this why, you know, you hear, you know, uh, a man who perhaps has, you know, been promiscuous with a woman prior to marriage and, uh, and this woman is pregnant, they say, you know, you know, do the honorable thing and make her an honest woman, that type of thing. They have to prove right. and redeem that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're um, you know the weight is sort of on the man to prove that he is honorable, uh, and so uh, he you know needs to act honorably toward you know this if he's dating a woman right you you want him to act honorably you think about this with your your sons you know I have a son who's nineteen and uh, you know I want him to learn to act honorably toward women uh, because uh, you know not only for his own good but for their good as well. And, uh, mm -hmm. he needs to have that sort of trained into him, uh, from an early age. Uh, and, um, and the woman on the other hand, uh, you know, needs to be sort of protected or guarded from, uh, this sort of shameful activity, uh, by, by men that, that could take advantage of her. Uh, and then, but if, if she's with the right kind of man, then she flourishes and he flourishes and, uh, everybody respects and honors each other and, and everything goes well. 
Yeah. So you mentioned uh, that kind of honor and shame in the modern time is primarily uh, in like the internal sense of worth or something to that effect. It's not external. Yeah. It's something that is defined internally. So how how does has that played out in terms of whether honor and shame really is put away or is like actually is no longer a category to be dealt with. And how does that play out in our interactions with each other when we try to ignore it, when we try to ignore this category of thinking or of living? Yeah. So, right, right. We, what we've done in the, in the modern world is replaced, um, you know, honor and shame with the talk of self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, self-esteem is just, I mean, another way to talk about it is, is self-honoring. (laughs) <laughs> right, I have a sense of uh, of honor in and of myself, and and that's the most important thing. Uh, and this this has always existed, right? It, but it was the self esteem uh, was a reflection of the external esteem that people granted you, right? So mm-hmm. uh, if if you come from an honorable family, if you did honorable things, then you had a a strong sense of self esteem or self honor, uh, and now it's the opposite, right? So uh, I want to feel good about myself. And so uh, I sort of create this identity uh, from scratch in my own head or in my own heart. And then I push that out into the world and ask the world or really demand that the rest of the world honors it. Um, And this is, I mean, the most extreme cases I think right now are, are in the trans movement where you have people saying, I am, you know, even though biologically I'm a man, I'm really a woman. And uh, you need to not only tolerate that, but also uh, celebrate it, right? And and uh, and acknowledge it and, and validate it. And so you got to call me by my pronouns and you have to, um, you know, just not be disgusted by the kind of clothes I wear and, and those sorts of things. Um, and, and that, uh, again, that's this sort of self honoring thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. and it, uh, it just creates a a lot of chaos obviously, but, um, but then hurts the people, hurts both sides, right? Hurts the community, but also hurts the individual. Yeah. That's, I remember when same sex marriage or same sex mirage was going like full bore and they were trying to argue, this is before, uh, Obergefell. Uh, and he was, uh, th- th- there were people who were making statements about, um, well, you know, we've gotten to one step where, where they're accepting, but they haven't gotten to the point of celebrating. And yeah. it's the celebration, it's the granting of honor uh, mm-hmm. that, that they really wanted. And that's what that celebration is. So, yeah. We're we're constantly seeing this honor and shame still in force, uh, even though we want to pretend like it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it you know it plays itself out in other ways too, like the uh, you know the everybody gets a trophy culture. You know, if your kids participate in a sport and you don't want to have a loser, you don't want anybody to feel bad, um, which can be okay, I guess, in some instances. But uh, but it it sort of gets taken too far, I think, quite a bit. Uh, and it gets reflected in our preaching too. We, uh, as preachers, <clears throat> we have a hard time uh, wanting to make people feel bad for their sins because uh, you know making somebody feel bad about themselves is 
in our culture is just about the worst thing you can do, right? You're telling them that something that they've done, a decision that they have made to live with this person they're not married to or whatever it happens to be is the wrong decision. Uh, and that will uh, you know, dishonor them, make them feel bad about themselves. Uh, and that's, that's crossing the line, at least culturally. Mm-hmm. So you've already mentioned like a biblical example of, you know, honor and shame with regard to Mary. How does the biblical worldview really see this? You know, we talked about how it's kind of just part of creation, but how, you know, how does that play out? What does, um, what is really uh, God putting before us as he emphasizes this honor and shame? Yeah. So, um, in you know in the in the ancient world, honor and shame was external. Uh, it was or defined externally, um, but it was governed by primarily the community, right? So the most important thing was uh, what does my family or what does my uh, my synagogue or what does my uh, you know the, the group of people around me what do they think about what I'm doing? Uh, in the modern world, the most important thing is what do I think about it. Uh, and uh, and everybody else can just sort of uh, deal with with whatever decisions I make and, and life that I live. Uh, but the biblical view challenges both of those things. Uh, it's still external. It's something outside of myself that that governs my sense of honor and shame. Uh, but that thing isn't the community. It's God and His Word. Mm. Um, and I think uh, maybe the the best example of this. Uh, is St. Paul, uh, you know, when he is, uh, is called by Christ on the road to Damascus uh, and, and becomes an apostle, uh, it ceases to be his, his Jewish family, his, his ancestors who govern his sense of honor and shame, uh, and now it is Christ and Christ alone, uh, so that he will say, you know, I would, I'll do anything, uh, you know, that the world thinks is shameful, Right, but as long as it honors Christ, uh, and mm. and as long as I'm serving Him, right? When He comes to uh, uh, to the Galatians, when He's writing to the Galatians, uh, and He uh, is is upholding His apostleship, you know, He tells them, "Yeah, I went to Peter, and I, I talked to James, and and all of these guys, uh, but they didn't add anything to me, right? They uh, just recognized that I was an apostle based upon the Word of God, right? Based upon the call." Of Christ, uh, yeah. and I think that's a good uh, a good analogy then to to draw out to the rest of the Christian Church uh, that we are um, our, our sense of honor should come from God uh, and from Christ, and not from uh, primarily from the community around us, and certainly not from uh, our own internal sense of self worth. Yeah, and it it also seems like it's then the call of the church to draw the rest of the community into that understanding of honor and shame right that right that it, we would not subject someone's honor or shame to just the community standard but rather the standard that god sets forth in his word um yeah. and there's a lot it seems today uh, recognizing that we still operate in this honor and shame culture you can see why it's so um, persuasive for churches 
to follow along with the way of the world, whether it's, you know, uh, going along with homosexuality or going along with, uh, you know, the proliferation of the feminist movement or pick your, um, stance in the world that is contrary to the word of God du jour and the churches that, or the pastors or the, the church members that want to go along with it, they have a huge sense of being shamed because they're not going along with what the community standard is and the call of the church, the church call of the church is to not care about what the community standard is but to care about what God's standard is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even, you know, to think about St. Paul saying, even if an angel from God appears to you and contradicts the gospel uh, that I gave you, you know, let him be anathema, right? Don't don't listen to anything but the truth of God's word. And uh, that's, yeah, exactly right. And, And that's, uh, so each individual Christian has to be ready to do that, right? To take that stand, uh, to say, I'm going to do what's honorable in God's sight. Uh, but it helps then to have a community like a church, a uh, congregation that will back you up uh, and say, we, you know, no matter, maybe it's only two or three gathered in the name of Christ, but these two or three are going to stand together against uh, the dishonorable conduct of the world uh, and uphold the honorable conduct um, that is defined by Christ and his word. Yeah. I remember you referencing Polycarp, and I and I love that part in Polycarp's Martyrdom, where, you know, on the one hand, he's like, uh, he's been asked to 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 recant, you know, his position, and you know, not to be an atheist, uh, and mm-hmm. so he looks at the crowd and says, "Away with the atheists!" I mean, uh, but. When he's finally pushed, he's like, look, for 86 years, my Lord and Savior has done me no wrong and has blessed me. How can I reject him now? How can yeah. I set him aside now? And he finds the, the the honor to be to be suffering with the sufferings of Christ and, yeah. and sees that as a gain, not as a loss. Right. Right. Yeah. And the, uh, well, I mean, you just think about the crucifixion. I mean, the, the crucifixion of Christ was intended to be uh, the most shameful thing. You're strung up, strung up on a, a wooden platform naked in front of the entire world with your crimes uh, plastered above your head for the whole mm-hmm. world to see. I mean, that is, uh, Rome is, is sh- blatantly shaming uh, their criminals when they do this. And, and Christ, above all, they're trying to shame him. Uh, but God converts that into the most honorable thing, right? That uh, that through this act of shame, Christ is actually glorified and and on His throne in a certain sense, uh, crowned and 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 all of that. Uh, so so that now He's at the the place of highest honor, uh, and that's that's the way the Christian life is going to reflect. Polycarp is is just a, a reflection of Christ in that sense. He's worthy, or he is. Um, He's thankful to be worthy uh, to suffer with Christ. He sees it as an honor uh, to suffer the way that Christ suffered. So in terms of like Christians and how we, whether it's pastors to the people or just um, fathers and mothers to their children, just living 
out our Christian lives with one another, how do we wittingly employ this honor and shame to the to the glory of God, right? To 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 good and proper uses and ends. How should we think about it as we kind of daily take it up? What things should we think about, and what kind of framework and mindset should we have as we um, encourage or lift up or uh, try to bring everything captive to the Word of God? Yeah, well, um, I think it. <clears throat> one of the things we can do is hold up uh, these these godly examples of uh, of honorable conduct, right? So, uh, you know, you can teach the commandments, and that's a, a wonderful thing, teaching kids the word of God. Uh, but it also, um, one of the places I think we, uh, we learn to desire honorable conduct is by seeing examples of of honorable people. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. what a hero really is, is a, is a person who, uh, who acts honorably and is uh, sort of glorified for that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a person that we honor for their, their good conduct. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned in, the, uh, uh, in my presentation that, uh, you know, that Hollywood is really pushing back against this today. And you see an example of this in the, the Avengers Endgame series where mm-hmm. uh, the character Thor is a, just a complete, uh, screw up. He's uh, he's failed in his mission to save the world, and he becomes a, a drunk and a slob, and uh, really lets himself go. And then he, uh, through you know some miraculous means, is able to speak with his dead mother, and uh, you know she tells him that a hero is just somebody who is basically being their self, right? Uh, <laughs> and I was just thinking, what what a silly thing to tell a, a you know this obese drunk failure, uh, that you're a hero, right? Well, you're not a hero. You were a failure. Um, so we, we need better examples than, you know, than Thor and these sort of failed heroes. Uh, and, and Polycarp is one of those, right? Obviously all the, the biblical saints, uh, can, can serve as, as examples of those and other martyrs, uh, you know, people who, who stood against the culture around them, uh, who stood up for the word of God. I mean, Martin Luther is another one um, that are willing to suffer and to die uh, for the sake of God and his word, for the sake of Christ, and um, and to uh, mm-hmm. to do what is honorable in God's sight uh, rather than what's honorable in the world. So if we, you know, we hold those heroes uh, up there, those martyrs uh, for our children and, and for our congregations, uh, they will, I think, have the desire to emulate those people. Uh, and and yeah. by retelling their stories, what we're doing is is honoring them. Uh, one of the ways to dishonor somebody is, I think, to forget uh, what they've done. And so mm-hmm. learning our history and, and, and passing those stories on honors those martyrs uh, and then leads, um, leads our people in uh, the desire for honorable conduct. Yeah. I mean, and, and we should kind of get that because, you know, when... <laughs> When we praise or glorify God, we're retelling what he has done. We're stating either to him or to others the things that he has done and accomplished here in time for for our good uh, and for the good of his people. And uh, in a similar way, you you would honor or glorify those people by telling them what has been what what they have done and what they have accomplished. I was just reading yeah. um, 
and I never really thought about this. I should have, but I, I, I never thought about it before. I was just reading something by Peter Lightheart, and he was talking about preaching and said something to the effect of, look, if you want to get people to, if you want to encourage people to do things, don't give them a list of do's and don'ts. Um, uh, engage their imagination. And it sounds like this is kind of yeah. like, you you get to the will by means of the imagination, not by giving them a list of do's and don'ts. And yeah. uh, in your discussion of like, it's great to teach them the commandments and we shouldn't not do that. But also by giving them the heroes of here's something to emulate. Look at look at how honorable they are. Um, that's engaging their imagination. Like every kid imagines yeah. themselves as the Babe Ruth, or you know, the the, the guy from The Natural, or um, any any other movie. Like imagines himself in that position. Uh, and yet right. we don't do that very thing in our preaching. And I, I just found that just kind of blew my mind. Like we need to do more preaching of to imagination. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. And it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, fantasy. Like I, I'm rereading Lord of the Rings right now. And so there's all kinds of great stuff in there, but there's plenty of just, uh, plain historical true events that we can point our people to and and mm-hmm. spark their imagination uh you know for for living uh, in an honorable way and uh and yeah I, I definitely think um whether it's preaching and bible class and you know reading bedtime stories to our kids uh or uh you know just sharing stories around the dinner table or whatever uh that's <clears throat> Those are uh, are great things, right? That uh, that's again, like you said, spark the imagination and um, and lead our people to desire uh, honorable uh, honorable conduct and uh, mm-hmm. and to to honor honor Christ as well. All right, so we need to we need to uphold the heroes of the faith. What other things should we keep in mind uh, as we're living out our lives as Christians? Uh, to hold this honor and shame in a proper biblical perspective. Yeah, one of the things is to remember the the honor and the dignity of others. So I think this is where um, sometimes cultures go astray is when they're too concerned with their own personal honor, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, instead, we can look uh, and and look at the the honor and the dignity of other people. And, and find ways uh, to sort of lift them up. And, and one of the pastors that I was talking to, uh, Pastor John Bainey, who's a pastor in our district, uh, he was saying that his, um, you know, one of his best memories uh, from growing up are the times that his father told him uh, that he was proud of him. Right. He's, his father told him all the time that he loved him and he knew that his father loved him. Uh, but when his father told him that he was proud of him, uh, that really made him shine. Uh, and so whether it's our sons, you know, or daughters telling them that we're proud of the, the things that they've done, the good things that they've done, uh, obviously, um, that that's a, a good thing. Uh, and then spreading that through our congregations, too. You know, when, when people do honorable things in the congregation, uh, we can uphold that uh, and, and be thankful for it and, and praise God for it. Um, and, you know, on the flip side, when they do bad things, we can make sure and point out that this is, you know, this is not conduct 
uh, that's becoming of a Christian. It's not conduct mm-hmm. uh, that honors Christ. Mm-hmm. There is kind of a, a military aspect to this. Uh, the, the military gets this, and you know we live in the church militant, the fighting church. Uh, is there is there something to learn from the military uh, in this regard? Yeah, absolutely. So the yeah, you're absolutely right. The military. Uh, you know, honor and, and shame are all over uh, in, in military culture and some ways can get out of control at, at certain times. But but for the most part, it's it's to a great benefit to the people there, right? They um, When they do something good, they're honored with it. I mean, literally with a medal pinned to their chest. Um, and, uh, and when they do something bad, uh, they get what's called a dishonorable discharge, right? So, right. Uh, so honor and shame is all over military culture. But um, yeah, we can definitely learn from that. So the, you know, in, in the military, honor and uh, honorable conduct uh, is really uh, baked into everything that they do, uh, the way that they act. Uh, when you run into somebody who is of a higher rank than you, a higher status, you honor them by saluting them. Uh, and that person then honors you by saluting in return. Um, you honor people by the way that you dress, right? For certain occasions, they have different clothing. Uh, for certain occasions, they take good care uh, of their clothing and their uniforms, make sure that they're they're properly kept. Uh, I was, I don't know if you've ever been involved with, with something like this, Jason, but I had an, an active duty Marine who was killed um, in Afghanistan. And uh, I was involved. Uh, I did the funeral uh, for that young man. And mm-hmm. uh, seeing the way that the Marines uh, honored the sacrifice of their fallen comrade was uh, mm-hmm. just a, a completely enlightening experience. Uh, and I think we can take that example that the military has uh, and apply that to our lives as Christians. I mean, essentially what they are doing uh, are, are acts of piety. Uh, and so when we think of, of piety, I think sometimes we think of ourselves just sort of being maybe stodgy or, or uh, traditional or, or whatever. Uh, but, but piety is really just showing the proper honor uh, mm-hmm. to the proper things. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, we don't salute God, we kneel before God. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we wear the proper clothing and pastors uh, vest themselves out of respect mm-hmm. for God, but also out of respect uh, I think for his people, um, yeah. you know, when we come to receive the Lord's Supper, we kneel and uh, and receive it with with dignity and and respect for what is actually present—the very body and blood of our Lord. Uh, not, you know, this isn't candy or uh, you know Doritos and Pepsi or something like mm-hmm. that. So uh, we want to receive it with with the honor that is there, and and you can you know extrapolate that out to that out to, to all kinds of, of situations in the church, I think. Yeah, I mean, in our ordination, we uh, we vow to adorn the office with a holy life, an, an honorable life, something worthy yeah. of following. And um, I, I just ran across this. Um, when we were at conference, uh, our district president, uh, President Moore, said that basically we're in a bind in terms of you know pastoral candidates there's a looks like there's going to be a pastoral shortage and uh yeah. a, a, and I just was reading in in I think the New York Times that 
every single uh, unit of the armed forces, branch of the armed forces, uh, is in need of recruits, except the Marines. The Marines Mm. continually meet their quota and their goal for new recruits. And their whole thing is, and they started this, you know, uh, back in the 80s, they started this like, uh, we're not going to lower our standards. Uh, do you have what it takes to be a Marine? And yeah. um, and people, again, this engages their imagination, their desire to be a hero, a, a, an honorable thing. Um, would we do the same thing in the church? Would we say whoever desires the office of bishop desires an honorable task? And yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember being at seminary and, you know, guys wore uh, sweatpants. Um, yeah. And, you know, did they honor the task that they were doing? Uh, maybe maybe our seminaries should raise the bar during this time. Maybe our seminaries should right. say, you know what, if you're going to come, you're going to wear a cassock everywhere. I, I, yeah. Not exactly, yeah. but maybe you're going to dress like a pastor. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. You know, maybe we should start enacting things that are like, you know what, we're going to raise the bar for you because this is the time we're in and we need not just people, we need honorable, good, heroic men. Uh, And I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I remember a professor in college, Concordia Seward, telling me he his first day he was from california and his first day at seminary uh, he walked into class wearing a hawaiian shirt and the professor looked at him and said the uniform is uh shirt and tie and that's all he said and he left uh, and went back and put on a shirt and tie and came back to class um and yeah i think uh definitely we could use uh you know, a little more rigor in uh, our seminary training, not just academically, and we want to keep that and, and increase it if we can, but uh, but also just, uh, yeah, the way that we act toward each other. Uh, you know, if you come to class in sweatpants, you're not showing honor to your professor or to your classmates. Uh, you're just saying, you guys don't deserve me to look my best. You just deserve me to looking like a slob. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, you know, that dressing up for the day, uh, wearing appropriate attire for the day, um, means that, uh, we're learning that and getting into that habit for the rest of our, our careers as pastors. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think there's something that when we expect more of people, uh, that, that brings out the best in them, right. They, they want to do more and they want to do better and especially men, right. They want to uh, achieve and, and those sorts of things. And, um, if, if we can sort of ignite that fire in them, uh, we mm-hmm. might get a few more men to, to want to be pastors. Well, even, I mean, there are a couple of things, like not only uh, are we trying to demonstrate the, the nobleness and the, the honorability of the, this particular task, but we're, seminary also creates kind of this brotherhood in arms that mm. that you know, I'm representative, not just of God, but of everyone else in the office, everyone who's yeah. gone before me and who will come after me. And there's this, the, this is the kind of thing that is passed on in the Marines, right? It's not like they say, they never say I was a Marine. They always say I mm. am a Marine, 
right? It is a, a present tense reality always. I have one uh, Marine who is uh, not active duty, uh, but, but this person never says I was a Marine. They always say yeah. I am a Marine. And uh, I, that's, that's just fascinating to me. And and I wondered really also to what extent has, you know, the addition of um, the Deaconess program on campus, how has that affected that camaraderie uh, of men in arms going into uh, to the battle of the office of the ministry? Um, and, and does that, does it erode it at all? So, yeah, well, yeah, you've got a lot of forces that, um, you know, push against that because, you know, in former days, uh, guys who were going in, into the office of the ministry started, uh, you know, in like high school together and then <laughs> right. would work for, you know, through high school, through college, uh, senior college, and then seminary. So they're together for like a decade, uh, getting to know each other and uh, holding each other to account, but then also learning to love each other and, and those sorts of things um, and respecting each other. And nowadays, I mean, you go to seminary and you're there for, uh, if you, with your class, you're on campus for three years with guys. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but just, just that fact means you have less camaraderie, uh, with the men that are there. Uh, and then you have, you know, other students who are just there for academic purposes, maybe from even other, uh, other Christian denominations, you're just getting degrees or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the deaconess program and those sorts of things too, that, um, uh, maybe is uh, in some ways can be a distraction from uh, the training of men to, to act honorably toward each other mm -hmm. and toward their Christ. So this is, we, we've been discussing like how, how pastors can do this. What about like personally, uh, how should we, uh, what should we be thinking just personally, either as pastors or as just laity? Um as we live out our lives, uh, what questions should we be asking ourselves and what, what, what kind of framework should we keep in mind? Yeah. So I think the number one question we all have to ask ourselves is, uh, am I acting honorably in the sight of God? Um, is this, uh, you know, is, is what I'm doing, uh, something that, that God would approve of, right. When we're talking in terms of the law or in terms of our own personal behavior, uh, you know, is and then in uh, uh, kind of alongside that, uh, we ask the question: Is my community spurring me on to honor God? Right? Or the the people that I'm surrounding myself with, my peer group, uh, my friends, my family, are these people uh, encouraging me to act honorably in the sight of God, or are they encouraging me to act in a different way? Uh, and if if they're act encouraging me to act contrary to God and his will, then maybe it's time to find a, a new community or right. uh, a different group of people uh, who will encourage me uh, to do the right thing. Uh, and this, the other thing that goes along with that is, is my internal conscience, is my self, uh, my sense of self-esteem, is that bound to the law of God, right? Uh, is, or is it just sort of cut free and, and floating off somewhere? Uh, mm -hmm. so, so I don't need to ask myself, would God approve of this or not? And sort of discover that in my heart, I can discover it clearly in God's commands. Uh, mm -hmm. I know that God 
would not want me to hate my brother because he tells me that clearly in his word. Uh, I know that he does not want me to uh, have an extramarital affair uh, because he tells me that clearly in his word. Um, you know, these aren't things that I have to sort of uh, discover in my conscience. They're already there. And, and so we can bind ourselves to those things. Uh, and that makes life a lot simpler as well. We don't have to mm -hmm. uh, reinvent the wheel. We just listen to God and, and obey his word. So that's kind of an example of what to avoid. So what's the example mm -hmm. of then what to engage into? Like what questions should we be asking there? And, and, and how should we think of how do I bring honor to instead of not causing shame? Right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we, uh, one thing that always pops into my head is when, um, you know, people ask, uh, or, well, maybe the way I want to approach this is, um, when we speak the gospel, right. As you mentioned earlier, uh, we are honoring God when we tell people what God has done, right. When we tell them who Christ is and what he has done for us, uh, that honors God. And so I think that, um, you know, we're, Evangelism is great uh, in which sharing the gospel with other people for their sake is great. Uh, but I think people are often afraid that, well, what if I tell them, you know, what if I tell my neighbor about Jesus and uh, they don't believe? Well, well, so what? You're still honoring God by saying what he's done. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that can affect the way we, we view evangelism and, and just uh, take the fear away, right? I, I don't mm -hmm. need to convert these people. I mean, I want to. Uh, but if if they don't convert, God is still being praised and honored uh, by what I'm saying. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and it, we we talked about pastors already, but um, you know, in terms of family, um, you know, how can we uh, you know bring honor to the the people around us? Uh, you know, the the commandment, uh, Luther's explanation uh, to the sixth commandment says that husband and wife should love and honor each other, right? So, uh, how can I honor my wife and the uh, the things that she does for me. And, mm. uh, I think, you know, when I, when I look at marriages, these are the ones that I see that are really, um, really flourishing are the ones where, uh, the wife honors the husband as the head of the household and, and respects him for all of the, the things that he does. Uh, and the husband loves and honors his wife, uh, for the, the gift of God that she is. I mean, Luther talks about this, uh, you know, the, the joy of, of marriage that he, you know, had and never really expected and didn't really even want until it was kind of almost thrust upon him. So mm -hmm. uh, we can honor those uh, gifts that God has given to us. Uh, just seeing our family and uh, children and, and those sorts of things as gifts of God uh, honors them uh, and, uh, and sort of changes the way um, that we, we think about them. Um, and you can also think about yourself, right? Can, how can I honor myself? Now, that's um, sometimes, again, can go too far. It can be, we can get too full of ourselves. But, uh, but when we're talking about our bodies, uh, how we dress, um, you know, maybe you, you've discovered this. I, I feel better when I get up and in the morning and, and exercise and shower uh, and put on like big boy clothes uh, to go out into the world um, and, you know, show myself a little respect, right. And, um, and take care of myself in, in that sense. Uh, and I think, think we can do that too. You know, we, again, we can mm -hmm. take that too far and become full of ourselves and, and narcissistic. Uh, we don't want to do that. 
Um, but, uh, but showing a little self-respect uh, can be a, a good thing too. Yeah, there, it seems like, you know, so the ancient world had this, this kind of speech, which was epideictic, uh, the praise and blame speech. Um, and it seems like this is kind of how this works out, right? That if you want to honor, you are finding praise, you are giving praise. Um, and so you can praise uh, your wife before the rest of your family and before the world for who she is and what she has done, or likewise your husband. Um, yeah. And that this would be the the the, the default in 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 a family, right? Or even yeah. churches, right? That the, the the people, despite maybe the differences they have. Uh, with their pastor, that they would praise their pastor and their church. And likewise, the pastor would praise their people, not just to them, but to others as well. Right. So that, so, yeah. so that it is a, a place where then other people want to be. I mean, no one wants to be where you're constantly complaining about something. Um, and right. I think this should be, yeah. this should be something that, that really pastors learn there's a time for lament, there's a time for complaint. Um, but I, it's very easy for us to, uh, for us all to kind of give in to that, that nature of constant blame and uh, complaining where we wallow in it instead of, uh, as St. Paul continually tells us in our prayers, right? Obviously, to make our requests known to God with thanksgiving that that we mm. praise um yeah. and this should be the common attitude among the people of god yeah yeah absolutely you know rejoice in the lord always right because everything he gives is a gift and um if people mm. know that uh, as you said that's that's what they want to be around that's what they find attractive if i'm constantly complaining about my wife uh, not only are people not going to like her or me, but they're not going to want to get married either. Uh, well, right. if, you know, if being married is such a burden, who wants to do that? Uh, you know, if I'm complaining about my congregation, who's going to want to go there? Uh, if I mm -hmm. complain about my pastor, who's going to want to listen to him preach? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the more we we praise and honor the gifts of God, other people will, uh, I think, find that attractive and and want to want to be there. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I sort of glossed over this uh, maybe too quickly, but I think um, you know our status as Christians uh, is based on on God and His His call to us uh, in baptism. Right in baptism, we are sons of God, uh, and and that is the highest honor that any human creature can be given. Uh, that any enemy of God who is an enemy of God uh, by virtue of their sinful flesh uh, that, that wars against God could be redeemed and called a son of God. Uh, that is that is a high status, a high honor that is placed upon all of us. Uh, and if we can remember that, uh, I think it, it makes it easier to allow that to govern uh, our conduct out into the world. You know, is this behavior uh, behavior that is worthy of a son of God? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, as I go forth in the world, uh, I'm going to do my best to, uh, to act worthy uh, in a manner that is worthy uh, of that honor. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you for your time. Uh, this is a great presentation. I'm really pleased that we're able to discuss like what is written in creation in in the sense that we can't avoid the honor and shame culture. We're either going to have a misshapen, curved in on itself version of it, or we're going to have the godly version of it. And yeah. um, thank you for putting this forward so that we can recognize what the true version of honor and shame are, the godly biblical version, uh, so that we can be uh, witting users of it and uh, witting people who enjoy the praise or uh, even benefit from the blame uh, that is rightfully ours. So thank you for your time and your insight. Yeah, you're very welcome. It's all my pleasure. Mm -hmm.